welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Jerry Springer. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And those of, you, those of you up in the balcony, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know those tickets aren't as expensive. They are. But well, uh, it's a good show. That the people come. Sure. Sure. What are you doing, Gene? You're wearing you talking- a suit and a tie. Yes, he is. And dress shoes. What's the point? Gold cufflinks. What's actually? the point? There's no cameras gold. here. Oh, he looks nice. This What's is, wrong with it? This is a podcast. Thank this you, is Megan. like You're radio. Welcome. No Thank one you. can see it. See, that's the problem. Look, here's, yeah. here's what I, first of all, I did send out a memo uh, directing everybody in the crew and in the cast to come. The crew dr- is dressed four differently. people. <laughs> okay, the cast well, is three. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't get a memo, I have to tell well, you. I I, my business plan doesn't always work as I've laid Hey, Megan, you're, you're a human resources manager. I am. And I think you will agree with me that the way people dress Jerry when they come to work projects how they feel about the job they're doing. 100%. And this audience, and look at the, how this audience is dressed. Look at Harold right here, mm-hmm. one of our regulars <laughs> wearing a, a It's the same jacket he wore last sport. week. Same sweater you wore last week. It's the same. But, <laughs> I think someone, I think you know what I think Gene is correct. I think it's you. nice to have a little bit of ceremony to yeah. something, and just because you come dressed like a slob every week doesn't mean <laughs> Gene should. No, no. <laughs> well, you dress casually, but I'll tell you what: the clothes you're wearing, I bet you, cost more than my house cost me. To be Very honest, much. even though you're casual, your but I suit. Think, look, I'm looking at your suit, and right. somewhere there's a Holiday Inn without a curtain. With that, well, look, look, <laughs> look. Look, I admit. Come on now. I admit. No, I admit. No, no it's fair. He my, have good taste. my tailor is TJ Maxx. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look, here's a deal. I think that we need to uh, step up. I think every week we need to come in here dressed formally. I and agree. thank you. There are people shooting photos, and yep. these photos will get posted on our website, and we'll let the audience. In fact, let's let the audience decide yes. how many people like the way this. Listen to that. Yeah. Listen to that. Yeah. Yeah, and look how they're dressed. Yeah, I know. We got 12 lumberjacks back there. I think Casey Campbell wore this same suit to his high school prom, if I'm not mistaken. But... Now, I'll tell you what. You know, speaking of this, Jerry... But you actually... You put that on purposely. Yes, I did. I I consciously... What were you thinking? I consciously dress for success. Thank you, Megan. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. does Well, I do the same thing on my television show. Hey, by the way... you can see how that works. Well, let me ask you something. (laughs) All the guests on my show dress for success. Yeah, they do. Hey, when when you were... uh, You were an award-winning and (laughs) Emmy-winning anchorman at the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati some years ago. Yeah. And you wore suits, by the way, every night, did you not? Paid for by the company. I bet you had like an allowance or something, didn't you? Oh, yeah, but they sent us out to Pogues or Shilatos. Is that true? What it was. Oh, yeah, the nice. local. And we had it, yeah. And but we, they didn't trust us to pick our own suits out, so they sent a wardrobe consultant. <laughs> that's really went with you. That was smart. Yes. They Plus, they made back. me get that my was, hair cut, all yeah. kinds of things. Back then, I, yeah, yeah, they were. But that was the news, and that was, you know. Yeah. Well, well you have to have authority. You have to lower your voice when you do an important story. Is that true? Is that why yeah. you're so squeaky when we do this? Well, <laughs> December 7th, 1941. No. 
It makes me think. That's the way it is. No one, no one remembers Walter Cronkite anymore. Isn't that I, rem- I mean, I know who he is. I'm yeah, well, you're boy. 75. That's why yeah. you're <laughs> Hey, do you remember back when, uh, and I, I recall this as a Cincinnatian and a supporter, political supporter of yours back then, but you were mayor of Cincinnati, and I remember when you were mayor, there was a time when you had to be the ceremonial starter of a half marathon, as I recall. Oh, and didn't yeah. you show up dressed kind of like I am with a coat and tie and dress shoes and the whole deal? Well, I, tell what happened then, because well, it's that, uh, it, it didn't end well. All right. Yeah, we'd uh, like to hear this. <laughs> no, I was the mayor at the time, and uh, we were on a Saturday morning. They were going to have Cincinnati's first, this was 1978, first mini heart marathon. And it was, you know, to raise money for the Heart Association. But it was a mini marathon, so it was only going to be nine and a half miles. Wow. And, you know, we run along the river. And my job was to give the opening, you know, speech as the mayor, wish everyone luck, and then shoot the gun to start the race. Well, a lesson if you're taking notes here at home, boys and girls, is when you're starting 3,000 people doing anything, don't be standing in front of them. Yeah. Because I'm standing, honestly, they all, you know, you had 3,000 people ready to run, standing right there in Fountain Square, and I'm standing in front of them giving this ridiculous talk. I'm dressed in a suit. I'm the mayor. And I finally said, okay, give on your mark, et cetera. I hold up the gun, and I shoot the gun. All of a sudden, 3,000 people start coming right towards me. Well, I did what anyone would do. You don't want to get trampled, so you kind of start jogging along. But I'm holding the gun. And in a suit. <laughs> and I'm in a suit with, with a, a, a tie shoes, you yeah, know. Like wingtips or something. Yeah. With my wingtips, and they look very good. <laughs> anyway, I've never run. I, I ran for office, but I never ran a block in my life. And now I'm running because I don't want to get trampled. And there's, you know, police along the way, and I kind of handed the gun off to one of them. And I figured, you know, and then, what am I, 32, 33 years old? So the kind of macho takes over. And you <laughs> start to feel, well... This is okay. I I can do this. So I start jogging along with them. But the nine and a half miles was four and a quarter miles one way and four and a quarter miles back. So the longer you stay with it, you then have to come back (laughs) because otherwise I'm out in one neighborhood. I don't know what. (laughs) And now after a while, my feet start hurting. I bet. And everything's starting to ache. But you're the mayor. You can't cry. But did you cry? Well, <laughs> I knew I wasn't doing well because on the way back, you know, the cops along the way kept asking, is there anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know. Is that it? Are so, you know. Yeah. So, I know. I, but then you realize all the cameras, are, are the, all the TV stations are there with the cameras at the finish line. And now word has gotten out that the mayor's running. So now you got to finish. You know, oh, what God, kind of a story great. was that? And I really was in pain. I mean, it hurt my feet were bleeding. I was limping for several weeks afterwards. But I crossed the finish line. A guy named Bill Rogers, who was an Olympic runner, he won and he did it at 46 minutes. I came in at an hour and 45 minutes. He beat me by an hour. An hour, you could, you know, I could have gone home taking a nap. I can drive to Lexington. He could have gone home taking a nap and come back and beaten me. But yeah, that was, but I wore a suit for that. A lot of good it did me. Well, you know, Is that why you won't wear suits now? Is that 
why you have issues. I, I said I'll never wear a suit again. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, yeah, I wear one on the TV show. I just don't wear a tie because that's extra. Yeah. That no, I've noticed more. that because I, I noticed, I know it, it even at my mom's funeral, thank you for coming, but it's, I said, you know, got you out in the vestibule of the church. Jesus, couldn't you just show some respect for my mom and put a damn necktie on? I mean, come on. What? I'll go get one from the car. No, it's so a, it is a, it's an so L.A. Cold. thing. No, I just don't know. No, you wore it's a tie that. You did, you that is so cold. <laughs> Denise Compton. Yeah. Oh my I'm God. Freaking that out poor over woman. this. You should be. You. Well, first of all, let's explain this. Let's, yeah. let's explain who she is. Denise Compton is the head of an organization called Podcast Watch. Yeah. Podcast Watch is a right-wing organization. For all I know, it's only Denise Compton. I don't know, but I know she's with it, and she is on our butts. Yes, yeah, she is. She listens to our podcast regularly. She's incensed over the fact that it's very liberal. She claims that's a violation of something. She quotes stuff. She says she has friends in Congress who are conservatives, and she's taking this to Congress. Yep. And I am for changing the podcast and putting in maybe half of it conservative. And Jerry's like, what? you political you coward. You Where's the you are coward the that thing. I used We're to know? You left out what we did to this poor woman. She's been wandering around, too. She's going to be angry. Well, well because you because fancy pants. No. Yeah. You did. What? Well, I did it. Yeah. You yeah. sent so, her to show she called in one time. And Jerry thought it would be funny to say, oh, look, maybe uh, it'll appease you if, if you could get some uh, backstage passes to my TV show, bring a bunch of people, we'll put you up. And she's and, a right-wing conservative. There's no way she wants to come and see my show. But no, she but did. she agreed. But she, she and said then she you, tickets. What's and wrong you with her? sent her to Chicago, Illinois, when for the last six years your show has been in Stanford, Connecticut, right? I wanted her to get a sense of history. Well, she got it. <laughs> Where the show had been. But you were the one that said go to Chicago. That's not even the worst part. Where else did you send her? Well, then sure. then she calls back from Chicago on a Chicago. cell phone to talk to like a whole bunch of cab drivers. That show hasn't been here for years. So then we chilled her out by saying, look, 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 we apologize. It was a mix-up. We were confused. Yeah, it is in Connecticut. <laughs> we lost so six years. then we said, come to our podcast. Sit at the table with us. Get your own mic participate for a right. night mm -hmm. she agrees and i noticed that night megan you were sitting there you didn't say a word you yep. look like you're afraid of her <laughs> and we said and he you sent her to Asheville, no. north carolina yes, he no. did. and we're in ludlow he kentucky you we're said half a day's you drive i would never Asheville. do that that is you do we it. have the tape <laughs> no oh we have no tape sis there's no tape no, Thank this is God digital. No tape. This is digital. Thanks. If there is a tape, there are archives no, online, no guys. There are archives online. So look, online. I'm just bringing this up. Yeah. As if we ever be, hear from her again, traveling around the and, country. And she might be listening to this. Denise, oh. call us back, and we'll work yeah, we'll, this we out. We could work out where we really we, are. We have senses of humor, and they sometimes get the best of us. So and, here's the problem that I have, though. At the beginning of the show, how many times do we say we're in Ludlow, Kentucky, on this show? Honestly. A lot. <laughs> Every time. Every yeah. time. A lot. Yeah. Where does Gene work for yeah. crying out loud? You know. can't get away from Ludlow on this yeah. podcast. I don't know. So she's a good point, not Megan. listening that well. Point, Megan. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, and by the way, we're going to hear in a minute from Walt Sample. And this is very cool, by the way. We're going to get to this in a little bit. But there's something that goes on at the Folk School Coffee Parlor, speaking of them, called the 52-Week Club. And we're going to talk oh, more yeah, about that funny. in a minute. And Walt Sample is from that. We're going to hear a song or two from him and songs that he wrote as part of that. Before we do, Jerry, Donald Trump, 
depending on your point of view, might be the gift that just keeps on giving. But there have been a series of things that he has done that I know you've been stewing on. I bet you had at your Thanksgiving dinner, like a lot of people, a good conversation about Donald Trump. How could you not? And tell us a little bit of your take on uh, what he's becoming and whether it matters or not. Yeah, we we, we talked about it, and there's some some conservatives in my family, but we've called the police, so they'll be be taken away. no, but but we had we did have some real you, strong discussions at the table. Really? It got it got out. We have agreed to try one more Thanksgiving. Well, that's good. Yeah. We'll try one but, more. Yeah, uh, it got it got it got rough. Uh, but anyway, the good news concerning Donald Trump. The good news is he will not be president. Okay, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. That's the good yes. news. Woo-hoo. The bad news. And by the way, if I'm wrong, I was never here. Yeah. This was well, all Gene. Since I we never, have no tape, it doesn't and, matter. And anyway. I never had a podcast, and I'm upset that someone's trying to impersonate my voice. <laughs> yes, right. Um, the bad news, though, is, and, and on this I am serious, is the damage he is doing just by running and the stuff that he says. And that has real consequences. And what I mean by that is I know Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, I, I worked for him when I was the uh, host of the Miss Universe pageant, which he owns, 2008 in Vietnam, actually, is, is where it was. And he's been only nice to me. So th- this isn't a personal anger kind of thing. But his politics are poisonous. And the stuff he says is so un-American that you can't even have the slogan, let's make America great again, because everything he's saying is the most un-American thing you could possibly say. And he's always been nice to me, but I think that's because I'm not Mexican. Uh, It's because, uh, you know, I'm not Muslim, and uh, I'm not, at least recently, haven't been a woman. Uh, And although if I was a woman, he would cherish me. Uh, And now what he is saying about the refugees, it's dishonest. He's lying. I mean, that's the only nice way you can say it. It is a purposeful lie. He says things such as, oh, my God, Obama wants to bring over 250,000 Syrian refugees. Okay, that is an absolute lie. The only thing the president said is what we should be make welcome 10,000 Syrian refugees. And I say to the president, God bless you, because if America isn't willing, as most of the other countries in the world are, being willing to take in refugees, then what does America stand for? What is that Statue of Liberty? Does Trump want to take down the Statue of Liberty? Give me your, you know, you're tired, you're hungry, you're poor, whatever. I thought ISIS is our enemy. Well, if ISIS is our enemy, why wouldn't we want to protect, give comfort to the people that are running away from ISIS. Aren't these the good guys? Mm -hmm. And now he builds this fear. This is the problem with what he says. He gives all these wackos out there, or the few wackos we have out there, he gives them cover because now they can say stupid things and say and be racist and all that and say, well, a presidential candidate says it, so it must be true. For a Syrian refugee, first of all, to get into America is a two-year process. You have to go through the kind of background checks and the process that takes two years that if you're just a student or just a tourist, you don't have to go through any check. You don't need a visa if you're a tourist. 
you know, and you can come from 38 countries and you don't need a visa to get into America. And by the way, one of those countries is France, another country is Belgium. In fact, it's all the European countries. Well, didn't these guys that shot up the people in Paris, they were from these countries. They, they could have, let's say they were the ones you wanted to get. They weren't Syrian refugees. So you're not making America safer by saying we're going to stop the Syrian refugees from coming because obviously ISIS is using other people, including people that, you know, are here in the United States, American citizens. Some kid looking at a computer in his home. For two years, if you're a Syrian refugee, to get into this country, you have to go through, and I, and I have here, I cut this out, the 20 steps. This is why it takes two years for a Syrian refugee to come to America. You got to first register with the United Nations. And then you get interviewed by the United Nations. And then you're ultimately, if you pass that test, you're given refugee status. Then you're referred to resettlement in the United States. But you don't come to the United States. You still have two years where you have to be in a refugee camp. And by the way, purely coincidentally, I just remembered, back in 1979, I spent two nights at a refugee camp in Jordan. And it is a horrible place to have to be where these people are. Remember, these are people that are just running away because they love their children and they don't want them to die. They don't want to be killed. They don't want to have their heads chopped off. So they would do what every other person listening to this podcast would do. You would do anything you could to save your family. And they're looking for a place that they can have a life without fear. Okay, finally... They refer to resettlement in the United States, and then they have to go through more checks, checks with Homeland Security, a check by the FBI, a check by the State Department, all of these interview processes that you have to go through. And then you get a, another background check, which is at a much higher level and much more sophisticated. You have to get fingerprint screening, where they run your fingerprints and your eye. They take the picture of your eye, your um retina scan thank you and uh they check that through all the data that these agencies have around the world and it goes on and on and on and finally after two years you make it in now trump said two hundred and fifty thousand refugees coming to america as if it's tomorrow right but first of all the two hundred and fifty thousand are refugees from all over the world 1800 have come from syria not 250,000, 1,800. This is where the lie comes in. If you're running for president, why don't you look this up? And the 1,800 had to go through the two years of the investigation. Now, since 9-11, three, count them, three terrorists managed to come to America through that system. Three since 9-11. They were caught, but they got in. Three, and we've built up this fear. Instead of saying, and one other thing that we've now done, by having this presidential candidate and all the other candidates joining in with him on the Republican side, or most of them, Cruz, even Bush said, let's only let the Christians in. Oh, that's American. And now Trump says, let's have a registry. He'd be okay. Would you have to register if you're a, a Muslim? Oh, that's great. 
My family remembers that, where if you were a Jew, you had to walk around with a star in Germany and Austria, a Jewish star on you, so they would know who you were and which shops you couldn't go to and who you couldn't do business with. I mean, why don't we, just as Americans, why doesn't the Republican Party stand up and say, we are an honorable political party, Mr. Trump, you are not welcome in this party with those views. Those are un-Americans. If you want to represent the Republican Party, you have to have American values. That is the most un-American thing you can think of. So I don't know why we're saying, oh, that Trump man, he tells it like it is. Really? Just because you tell it like it is, or what you think it is, doesn't, that isn't a virtue in itself. You know, a lot of dictators tell it like it is. If what you're spreading is hate and venom, we are playing into ISIS's hand. They want a war of civilizations. They want Christianity against the Muslim world, against Islam. That's what they want. Because if they could get that, they can get recruits all over the world. A billion Muslims. Really? Are we now going to declare war against a billion Muslims? This is insane. This isn't just, well, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. For God's sakes, doesn't America mean anything to us? Trump has to be stopped. His words are poisonous. So obviously he's not going to be elected president. But what he's saying in the meantime is hateful, is hateful. It's wrong, and he's got to stop. All right. Very well said, Barry. Unfortunately, Jerry, that's probably not the end of it, but uh, let's talk about the 52-week club and uh, do some music as well. Uh, we, we constantly talk about the Folk School Coffee Parlor. There are partners in this podcast. We love it's the in Ludlow, there. right? In is, Ludlow, it, is that Kentucky? Kentucky? Not in Asheville, North Carolina. And it's right if you're down the road. Listening, Miss Compton, they just moved it here. They so just when moved we it. sent yeah. you there, it was in Asheville, but now it's in Ludlow, Kentucky. And uh, so one of the things they do at this cool place, and the name of it says that it's a music centered coffee shop. And I've said many times, I hang out here regularly, there's constantly music going on. So one of the cool things they do is the 52-Week Club, which is a gathering of regional songwriters from the what I'll call the greater Cincinnati, northern Kentucky, eastern Indiana, because Cincinnati's kind of in this what's called the tri-state area. So these people gather here on Tuesday nights, and they write songs. Very cool the way they do it. They take a prompt. They draw, or somebody, I think, name is drawn of the group and then they come up with a word and we'll hear from a second from Walt Sample it might be even a phrase or a sentence but something that is a prompt then the following week everybody comes back with a song written driven by that prompt it is a technique used in songwriting and other kinds of writing to just keep us writing so you got to stay creative and you got to kind of write on something that came out of nowhere if you can do that theory goes then you can write based on your own internal inspirations. So that's the 52-Week Club. Walt Sample, our musical guest tonight, is a member of the 52-Week Club. And so we're not only happy to hear some of his music, but to hear kind of what that process produces. So first of all, let's hear it for Walt Sample. Woo! 
And Walt, we're going to ask you to do a song, and in the process, I'm going to take this stupid ass tie off and dump this coat because I hate this. Is it a clip-on? And is that I, a real I did tie? It just to try to kind of get a little more famous or impress people. It obviously didn't Why work. Why is it so, so shiny? It is obviously <laughs> shiny. <laughs> it's been is worn that a real tie, by four generations. This is, hey, it's, it's polyester. Yeah. And you it's notice a, it's... Let's hear it for it's, Polly. Yeah. It's a little flammable. And, and notice it is yeah. uh, kind of hip. Uh, narrow lapels. Yeah. Well, the reason is it's from the 1950s when the <laughs> yes. lapels were yeah. narrow. It's really Make vintage. That the nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, Walt, what's the first song you're going to do for us? I'm going to do a song called Inside Again. All right, let's hear it. I'm alone. sample you are i understand by trade a farmer is that true um i would say a 
part-time farmer. I mean, I own a farm in eastern Kentucky. Is that a song that came from the 52-week club, by the way? Yes, the prompt, what we do is we all write down an idea, throw it in a hat and pull one out, and the prompt for this one was like rain on a river. So what we usually do is on the way home, I'm thinking, okay, rain on a river, the raindrops alone, but he's really came from the river, so I'm thinking the whole osmosis thing and all that. And then I just kind of came up with, you know, I'm alone. I want to come back home like rain on a river inside again, and it all just kind of came together. The 52-week club, tell us a little about how that works for you and how is it something you look forward to weekly? Well, with me, I'm cursed with too many ideas to write about. So by having like rain on a river at the top of my page, I can focus on that and come up with something. Because without a topic to write to, I would just, I would give up too easy and say, oh, that's not a good topic and move on to the next one and move on to the next one. I think this gives us a focus and an idea to write to. You got one more song, and if you do, can you tell us what the prompt was for it? Is it another one from the 52-week club? Um, I could do one from that. Is there one that mentions me? No. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I was going to do a song that I wrote. Uh, does everybody remember the uh, Chilean miners that were stuck? Oh, yeah. yeah, of course, yeah. Well, that, that story enthralled me, and I couldn't get away from the TV or the news about it. And this was when I first just started writing songs, and um, I wrote this song, and it's called The 34th Man. Do it. And it's easy to sing along on the verses. August 5th, 2010, a gold mine in Chile caved in, 33 men trapped a half mile down, we prayed they were safe and sound, very little water and two days worth of food, they tried to stay in a positive mood. The devil came and saw him, but they chased him away. Then they got down on their knees to pray. Oh, 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 Seventeen dark days in the golden tomb They prayed they would soon be exhumed Like a miracle, a small hole appeared Light from above was the near. The 34th man was with him all the time Deep in the belly of the mind Like Jonah, they would be expelled from their living hell.
69 long days later One by one they made her On the capsules they appeared 33 smiles from ear to ear The 34th man deep in the mind Wasn't trapped there, could have left any time Taught the men how to keep the faith Walk in the light and accept God's fate. Oh, 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 Walt Sample from the 52 Week Club, but also, Walt, let's uh, give a mention here to uh, your music is Big Mule Music, and is there a website, or can people yes, ask Yes, www.bigmulemusic.com. Where did Big Mule come from? With my farm in Eastern Kentucky, all my buddies ride horses in the Red River Gorge. Ooh, nice. So, you know, I rode a horse when I was a Boy Scout, so my one friend had a lot of horses. I said... I need a big animal, I'm a big man. So I ended up buying the biggest mule probably in the eastern United States. <laughs> His name's Toby, and we would go on these rides through the gorge, and afterwards we'd have a campfire and play music. How cool and is that? Everybody sees me and they say, yeah. here comes big mule music. Here yeah. comes big mule music, because I can go to a store three counties over and they'll go, you're the guy with that big mule ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> So that just kind of came about, but yeah. the website is just a collection of, I give all my songwriter yeah. friends a stall, and then I put all their music in Barnegie Hall, yeah. I call it, yeah. and it's free to go to, I That's don't charge so my cool. friends, but just, there's a couple hundred songs in yeah. there, you just click on and listen to songwriters. Nice. Good for you. Having fun. For years, they've been calling me Big Jackass, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> hey Walt, do you know the song Irene Goodnight? Could you take us out on that? And Jerry Springer will join you on it, believe yes, it or not. I do. And I understood Jerry liked it in the key of G. Oh, oh right? well, I guess so. I guess he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Irene Goodnight. Irene Goodnight. Goodnight. Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. 
thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Sometimes I live in the country And sometimes I live in town Sometimes I take a great notion To jump in the river and drown